Well, we've been going through Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 on fellowship. And we're going to continue that this morning. Um, and I'm going to read it starting out, and then I'm going to ask you guys a question after I read through verses 42 through 47. So if you would, turn to your Bibles and page 911 if it's a Bible in the pew. By the way, if you guys don't have a Bible, um, you don't have an excuse anymore because you do now. You can take that one home. It's yours. So there's a gift us to you. It's page 911. And I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 to get us started. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now today... I'm going to ask you guys a question this morning, or I'll propose a question to you this morning. Is fellowship necessary? Because there are some Christians, Bible-believing, born-again, true-believing Christians, who say that they don't need organized religion. They don't need you to have a relationship with God. They don't need church. They don't need a bunch of people. I can have my own relationship. Don't worry about me and my relationship with God. That's for me to know and not for you to find out. <laughs> so we're going to go into that, is it necessary? So for those that have that argument or want to say that to you, like, I, don't worry about it. I believe in God. I'm saved. I'm good. Well, that, that's great. That's honestly the best thing that could ever happen to them. But for them to argue and say that they don't need church or they don't need to be around other Christians, that, well, we'll get into that later. We're going to go into that this morning and the early church and why it's so important to have fellowship with one another and I'll have three points about that and I'll tell you how I was originally going to open this up it was a little more hmm, dramatic I guess dramatic effect I asked uh, I talked to my mom about it Amanda and Josh at the end I asked Josh and you know Josh he's he's very good about just saying whatever God leads you to do and I'm glad God stepped in and said you know let's just step off of that because I was <laughs> I've been praying about it. It's been about two or three weeks later after I told him this. I'm going to have to tell the deacons, him, and maybe a few of the elders not to come up here and take me off the stage. Let me get through this part of it, and then I'll back off and explain why I said what I said. But now that you know that I'm not believing in what I'm about to say, I'll tell you what it was. I was going to get up here, and I was going to tell you, and I was going to be in all seriousness, I don't need anybody in here to tell me how to, how to have a relationship with God. I don't need anybody in here to tell me how to interpret God's word, because that's your, just your interpretation of it, right? How you, how you understand it. So you and I could differ and disagree. So I don't need you for that. And fellowship is pretty much dead now. It's not like it was back in the first century church. It's not like it was. We all get together, we go eat, we laugh, we joke, and we leave. So it's not the same fellowship. It's not biblical fellowship, so why even do it? Let's just cut it out. Let's just quit pretending. Let's be done with it. I don't believe it's a thing anymore, so let's just quit doing it. I don't need anybody in here for that. Let's just learn the Bible. I'll get up here, Brother Josh, get up here, and your teachers will teach you, and we'll go home. Because most of the people in here, that's all they do anyway. They come in here for an hour a day, or an hour a week, two hours at most. 
Because some people go to small groups after this, and they might come on Wednesday night. That's three hours out of entire seven days that you're giving to the Lord. And most of the time, you're receiving the message. You're not really talking to anybody about it. Does that sound like truth? So I was going to get up here and get on that tangent. But, that, but then I was going to back off and say, if you know anybody that has that view, then this is for you, and this is for them. But that's, that's where I'm convicted in this message because I was that way for the most of my life and honestly right up until about the last three years I was that was that guy I come in here once at one hour a week maybe two we stayed for small groups because I couldn't wait to leave and brother Don was being a bad brother Don Hennard was being a bad influence on me this morning he told me you need to wrap it up early you need to make this about 20 minutes because I'm, I'm already hungry <laughs> all right but you, you might be in luck I'm already, I'm not even, I've already went way off on what I didn't plan, so I don't know if that's going to happen, Don. Um, ah, sorry. <laughs> um, so knowing all this, the groundwork's been laid on what we're going to be talking about this morning. As a true Christian, someone that's born again, someone that believes Jesus is who he says he is, someone that believes that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected as an actual true Christian, how can they have a view how can they, knowing this, justify their stance on not needing the church or its fellowship? How do they justify that? Well, that's what we're going to get into this morning. So if someone you know holds this view of church fellowship, or it's you, if, you're, if you kind of have that view, or if you're watching online and you're not at church because of that very thing, then this is for you. And I hope this morning that I pray, and I've been praying all week, that this would cut to the heart of some people. This is for somebody. And I promise you, three years past, it was for me. And there's still things in here in this message that's for me now. Because I was convicted. Some people say that when a preacher gets up here, they have to taste the food before they, they have to eat it before they serve it to others. Well, I, as I got through it, I, I was convicted myself of a lot of these things. So the first point this morning we're going to talk about is isolation. People that like to isolate themselves away from others. And I'm going to focus on verse 46, uh, in the, where we're still at right here, on page 911, verse 246. And I'm going to emphasize some words as I say it, for a reason. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now notice how I emphasize they together and there. These guys knew the importance of biblical fellowship. Keyword, biblical. When I, went to F, when I went to the FCS, it was Friday morning to teach in Kelly's room, um, I, I, it hit me before I went in there, so I'd explain to them what fellowship is, the difference between fellowship and biblical fellowship. And biblical fellowship has a purpose to it. Anybody can have fellowship. Atheists, agnostics, people sitting in a coffee shop. I mean, anybody and everybody can sit around, and that, that's fellowship in and of itself. Biblical fellowship is much different. We as Christians have biblical fellowship. That's where we get together, we meet one another's needs, we pray for one another, we, we, and we read scripture together. That's biblical fellowship. That's purposeful fellowship. What we do as Christians is to exemplify Christ, not to just talk about what's going on in the world today, because there's a lot going on, but there's also a lot going on in here, and I'd rather be in here than what's going on in the world. So it's much more purposeful. Now, if you're together praying together, meeting one another's needs, 
like the early church. That's something that's very, very hard to do when you're isolated. Is that right? It's something to do when you're on your own. Now let's turn to Proverbs 18.1. We're not going to turn to a whole lot of scripture this morning, but I want you to turn to Proverbs 18.1. It's a very short scripture, but there's a whole lot packed in there on isolation, and we're going to unpack it. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Now, it says, and this is Solomon, by the way, saying this, and Solomon was the wisest, so I, I trust him over many other people's opinions. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment, short and sweet. Now, that first part of the verse, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, seeks his own desire. What does that sound like? When I say you seek your own desire, that sounds like selfishness. Does that not sound like selfishness? When you go out and you seek your own desire. Now, that, that right there, there are people everywhere that seek their own desires. They're selfish people. They'll cut their family out. Some of them cut their friends out. The majority of those people cut the church out because they don't need that. And they put themselves in a position where they're almost judging the church. They put themselves above it, what Christ died for. And say, and they'll say, I don't need that. I don't need all that judgment on me. And they put themselves above it. It makes themselves feel more superior to the church in that way. It's a selfish desire. And you know what that shows? It shows a small and sometimes a big, big unwillingness to make the sacrifice of getting along with others. Because some, you're not going to get along with everybody. That's just the way it is. But that's a sacrifice you make. And as Christians, we're going to get into, and it's coming up right here, in contrast to this, Paul, he writes what the marks of a true Christian are. And I'm going to pull some highlights out of those. And if you'll turn with me to, it's, it's in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, or chapter, sorry, chapter 12, verse 9. And like I said, it, it, we're going to be going just for a second, but then after this, we flip here, it won't be much more. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and I'm going to go through verse 21, and this is the marks of a true Christian. This is Paul speaking, and there's some things I'm going to highlight, and you'll, you'll catch it as I'm reading through here about us being together as a congregation. Now let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Now, there's a few things I want to highlight in that, and uh, such as love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, when you think of that word seek, seek, what do you think of? You think you're going to go look for something. You're going to go find something. Well, in this context, I believe it's looking, and I know I'm not supposed to what I believe. It's just what the truth of it is. Looking for an opportunity to do something. You're looking for an opportunity. You're looking for that opportunity to show hospitality to someone. And that's the marks of a true Christian. This is coming from Paul. This isn't coming from somebody sitting in their house saying, I don't need anybody else. This is coming from a man that gave his life for the gospel. So how are we supposed to do this if we're isolated? How are we supposed to show the marks of a true Christian if we're by ourselves all the time? And I'm not mean just literally being by myself, but you could be with your family and not ever be around a church fellowship or a church congregation. You could be by yourself because you're not with other fellow believers. That's alone. I could be at a place with a thousand unbelievers and I will feel alone. When I, come, when I get around you guys, I don't feel alone anymore. That's the difference. So the last sentence in Proverbs 18.1, it says, He breaks out against all sound judgment. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, I was going to make this point in my sermon, but me and Max was out there, so it was actually, it was kind of, I guess, beneficial for me to bring this up. We were talking about alone time, and it's very good. It's very healthy. I know we're not going to be together 24-7. We're not going to be in here every waking hour of the day. We're not going to always be on top of each other. I get that. And it's healthy being by yourself. Even Jesus Christ would retreat off by himself and have alone time. He would, he would be by himself to uh, prepare for what's coming next get, and pray, with, pray to God and just have that peace of alone time. And that's exactly what me and Max were talking about when we were out there before church started. Now, there's a difference between that and Jesus. He didn't stay in a constant state of aloneness. He wasn't always by himself, and we know this. There's a, that's where the isolation part comes into play at the end of verse uh, 1 where it shows that isolation is not something we as Christians must not constantly stay in a state of. When this, occurs, when this occurs, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, in the King James Version, it says he rages against all wise judgment. He rages against. Anybody know that? When they're selfish and they don't get what they want, they get mad. Even though it might not be wise, they, they want what they want. So someone who separates themselves from the thoughts and opinions of others, they rage against. Or break out against all sound judgment. We're designed, truly, we are designed to live in community. You can see that all the way back in Genesis. You don't have to turn there. It's just a short verse. You can look all the way back to Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 18. And he's talking about Adam. He says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It is not good God, God Almighty, creator of the universe, the whole reason we're here this morning is saying it is not good for man to be alone. He created a helper for him. If it was good for us to be alone, we would know it. God Almighty says it is not good for us to be alone. The early, the early church knew this. They knew that it, that what true fellowship was. They knew the importance of it. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for love, any participation in, in the Spirit, 
any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the opposite of selfishness, to look to the interest of others. Again, how can we do this if we're isolated by ourselves all the time? Now, I noticed, excuse me, one second. I noticed, and it's just a little thing I noticed when I was reading through it, how he's addressing the Philippians, plural, Philippian. He's not addressing some Philippian dude that's by himself hanging out. He's addressing the Philippians. And that makes me think of it, the importance of the, what, why it is so important for us to have fellowship, for us to be together, to be around one another. And I've seen this illustration, and I loved it. Man, I loved it. So I thought, this is a perfect illustration of fellowship. And along the California coastline, there are some of the largest living organisms in the world, redwood trees. They're massive. If anybody's ever been around one, it is breathtaking. Those things are huge on the West Coast. The redwoods are 300 feet high. Some of them are 40 feet around. Some of them have been there for 250 years and counting. So just imagine these things are huge. How do they get so big? How do they get so strong? They are magnificent sites because they grow in groves. And I didn't know this until I read this, and I thought it was very interesting, that their roots intertwine underneath the ground. Their roots, they intertwine underneath the ground. So no intertwining, there's no growing. There's no connectedness under there. They're not going to grow the way they do. That's why they're so strong. I think the same principle applies to us as Christians. I think we're, the deeper rooted we are, the more around each other, the more intertwined we are, the more connected we are, the stronger we are, the, the bigger we can grow. Does that make sense? Sorry, I say that a lot when I'm teaching the youth, and that just sticks with me. Does that make sense? It's like a participation thing. It lets me know you're hearing me. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to call anybody in here out like I did in there. All right, that, that brings me to my second point, and that's to stir up one another, to stir up one another. Now let's turn to one of the most popular passages in Scripture on fellowship. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now that's page 1007 if you're using the Bible in the pew. All right, so I'm going to read verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, good, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you say the, see the day drawing near. So we're not, we're not meant to be alone. The influence of others is extremely important. The influence of our brothers and sisters in Christ is extremely important and encouraging one another. Encouragement. That's something that's vital, and it's very much, uh, I think it's underrated as encouragement. When we come in these doors in the morning, when we walk through those front doors, we should be looking to stir up one another. We should be looking to encourage one another. Instead of someone that just receives and takes encouragement and gets built up, we should also be doing that for someone else. If everyone in the church did that, it would look a lot different than it does. Instead of coming to church, looking to receive, receive, get, get, get. And it's good. Don't get me wrong. That's honestly, I get a lot, but I also receive a lot when I give to others. 
That's what our goal should be. Instead of coming in for our brief time, like I said, three hours at the most all week long, our brief time together, we should be looking to put in, pour into other people as they're pouring into us. Because what happens if everybody's taking in, it dries up pretty quick. Or you're going to be filled and the person that's pouring into you, they, they need it too. They need it too. Teachers, preachers, they need it too. They need a source. And yes, I, I love reading God's word, but he also, we, we pull from one another. Now, instead of asking those questions like, what can the church do for me? What kind of programs do they have for me? What kind of music it is that they sing? What kind of genre is it? I want to make sure. Because if it's too old school, I don't know. Or if it's that new stuff, I don't, I don't, I don't know about all that. What kind of style of sermons does a preacher preach? That's all geared towards yourself, right? We should be asking questions like, what can I offer? How can I encourage someone? How can I pray for someone? How can I build someone up? How can I pray for my family? And I'm not talking about your blood family. I'm talking about your family here. How can I stir up others? How can I stir up others to love and good works? That's what we should be asking one another. Now on a more comical note, I was thinking about stirring stuff up, and I thought about when I was a little kid, about Sawyer's age, about six years old, my son. I got to think about when I'd be walking around the yard, you'll see ant mounds everywhere. I thought about stirring them up, and I, it got me to thinking. And I thought I couldn't help myself. I knew I knew what would, what would happen if they got a hold of me, but I just had to. I was like knocking them over and watching them all come out. I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one, right? I'm not, the, I'm not weird or anything. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, but I, and I got to thinking, you know, if one of them stings you, it itches and it's kinda, it kind of, it bothers you, but it's not bad enough to where it's going to really affect you throughout the day. But if you're not wearing a shoe and you're actually standing on one of them and that you get a ton of them on you and it hits you, you're miserable. You're miserable for a while because the impact of all those is going to affect you. It's much more effective when they're all together. And I look at that with Christians. That's what I thought of. With one of them, it's not nearly as effective. It's going to hurt. It's going to have some impact. They can all have impact in the world by themselves. But when, they're all, when you get that whole family together of them going out there, they're going to make a much greater impact on the world. I think Jesus and the 12 disciples proved that. They were around him every day. They were saturated with Jesus Christ. Well, the 11 plus 1, Matthias, saturated. Went out and changed the world. I left Judas out for obvious reasons. With those 12, if we stayed in God's word and we were saturated with him every single day, those, what those 12 did, well, I don't know how many's in here, I'd guess over 100 right now. If we were all saturated with Jesus Christ every day, what would that do? What would that look like? If we gave more time than just that, even just an hour a day, if we gave more time than just that hour a day, spent more time staying together, spent more time in prayer together, spent more time reading God's word together, actually believing and doing the things that he says to do together not just by ourselves. Like I said, one, one's effective. But you get everybody in here, people see it. And that goes into my third point, but I'm not even close to that yet. We'll get there here in a second. <laughs> I love it. The third point's my favorite, and it's the most important. But you know, this also, the ant mounds. You can kick one of them over. You can get that white stuff that kills them, sprinkle it on them, kill it out. I hate those. I hate ant piles. I'll, and, but then after the first good rain, what happens? everywhere there's like 50 of them come back up and i and i read into it they can rebuild what you knock down they can rebuild it in a day and a half it takes them a day and a half to build up what you've destroyed or they'll go find something somewhere else to rebuild 
And that made, that's when I read that it made me think this. It made me think about the enemy that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He's out to tear you down. By ourselves to build it back up would take a long time what he can do. He's out there to destroy you, your family, and everything else, everything around you. And if he can get a foothold, he will use it. But if we're around one another in fellowship, we're here to build up what the enemy's trying to tear down. And together we can rebuild and keep our lives in check a lot easier than we can if we're on our own. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let's take a look at my third and final point. I might wrap it up around 20 minutes. I don't know. Let me see. Oh, yeah, it's getting close. I think I'll make it. I think it'll be okay. That last point, this to me, doesn't matter if it's up to me or not, it is the most vital point about fellowship. Because what are we here for? What are we supposed to point everybody towards? Who are we supposed to point everybody to? Go ahead and say it. It's fine. Jesus. We're supposed to point everybody towards Jesus. That's the most important thing, which makes this point right here the most vital point out of everything I've been saying this morning. We've seen what, it, what the benefits are to being around one another. Now we're seeing what it's geared and funneled, and funneled into. Why? Why we're supposed to be together. We've seen the benefits of it. Third point is so that the world may believe. So the world may believe. Now turn with your Bibles. This is the last passage in Scripture we're going to turn to this morning. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 20. Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 20. This will be the last place you guys turn to. Now, the Bible, it's filled with great prayers. Many great prayers throughout the Bible is being said. And Jesus here, he's praying to God the Father. And it, and it shows a lot of things about Jesus. It shows his heart, his love for us, his concern for all the believers. I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. And this is Jesus Christ praying to God the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> for those who believe in me through their word, that they, may, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may believe in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have been given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these that have sent me, I, know, I, I made them known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the world with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus, he's not only praying for his disciples. You can see this in verse 20. He's praying for all of us. In verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only. He's speaking about disciples. I do not ask just for these. 
but also for those who will believe me through their word. For also, also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for you and me. Jesus is praying for you and me also in this prayer. That they may all be one. That as Christians, we may all be one. How can we do that with selfish motives, selfish ambitions, slandering one another, gossiping about one another, causing divisions, things like that? Jesus goes on to say, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the Son of God, the Son of God, and the Father, God the Father, as they are one, as they are one, would you call that the perfect unity? Would you call that the perfect union? The relationship between Jesus Christ and God the Father as he's, as he's praying to him. Would you call that the perfect unity? Yes. So just as the Son of God and the Father are one, so as we are to be one. Us, right here. We're supposed to be one just as they are one. That's what he's praying. That's what he's praying. Why is he praying that for us? Why is he praying that we're supposed to be one as he and the Father are one? Why is he praying that? So that the world may believe that God the Father sent Jesus Christ. So that the world may believe that he was sent here from God the Father. So when the world sees us, they'll believe that. That's why he wants this perfect unity between us. Because if they see that, the world may believe. Meaning in our unity, in our fellowship, in our love and in our oneness, the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God the Father in our oneness. So, I'll ask you one more time, like I asked before I started, is fellowship necessary? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because it displays in us Jesus Christ. It helps us as Christians to stir up one another to love and good works. And most importantly, and above all, in the words of Jesus Christ to God the Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our love for one another, and I want you guys to listen to this, and I, want, and I think it's up here. So that our love for one another and our fellowship is a testimony, is a testimony and a witness to the lost and dying world around us. I don't think that needs much explanation. I don't think I've really got to really go into that right there. I think it speaks for itself. Our love for one another and our fellowship is a testimony and a witness to the lost and dying world around us. The isolated Christian who tells themselves that they don't need fellowship with other Christians. You know what? I spoke with God. He told me we're good. I don't need to go. For the Christian that says that, he's not listening to the words of Jesus Christ. He's not listening to the words in the Bible. You know who he, who's in his ear? The enemy. That's who's in their ear. That's the words of the enemy. And they're going down a path that the Bible, the word of God, adamantly advises against. Isolating yourself. So is fellowship necessary? Yes. So I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you guys a story. I got time. And after I get done, I'll have the worship team come up here and I'll pray for us. There was a young lady, and there was this beautiful place in the mountains that she always wanted to see. 
She had a Honda Civic, a little bit run down, but it's okay. She, she, she can make it. And it was a beautiful day. So she takes off. She drives out there. But she's going to drive up to this place. It's a little bed and breakfast. And she's going to stay the night there, get up early in the morning, and head to this spot so she can get there by lunch. So she goes, she drives, she gets to the place. She wakes up early in the morning, as she always does. Gets her breakfast, gets her coffee. And it being a small bed and breakfast, there was, there was another couple of guys over there. And it being a small one, they, when they asked her to have breakfast with them, she felt obliged. She felt obligated to do that. So she went over and she sat with them to eat breakfast. And it was still dark outside. The sun hadn't quite came up yet. And I'm like, so where are you going? What, what, what are you doing this morning? She goes, oh, I'm going to this. They, she told them the place where they were going, where she was going. And they kind of looked at her funny. Said, yeah, you can make it there, but you're going to have a very hard time getting there extremely hard, and she's, she's very independent, we'll put it that way, like she's very stubborn, not that women are stubborn or anything, but she was going to do it on her own, she wanted to make sure that, she wanted, she was going to see this site, she had came all this way, she's going to see it, and so as they're getting done, she gets up and she's walking towards the door, and the two, and one of the guys, he says, uh, we just can't let you go, I guess you're, we're going to have to hug you. And she goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you're not hugging me, you're not touching me. I don't think so. And he just laughed. He said, that's what I'm talking about. What he's talking about is one of us are going to drive in front of you and the rest of us are going to drive behind you to make sure you make it there. She's like, oh, okay, that's good, all right. Well, I guess we can go with that. So she gets, she gets in her car and one guy gets in front and a couple of the guys in their vehicles get behind her. And they're headed to this beautiful place in the mountain pass and she didn't know what the weather was going to be like. And it was snowing so hard that she could barely see five feet in front of her car. Knowing this, these guys, they have trucks that, that, that can do all these things. So she's following them. She can barely see. But these two little lights, red lights of the person in front of them, she's following them until they get there. By the time they get there, the snow had lifted, and it was gorgeous. But on the way, though she wouldn't admit it, she was so glad that she had someone to follow who helped guide her there and the support and encouragement behind her, knowing something bad were to happen, she was okay. I think, you see where I'm going with this, as Christians, this mountain, this beautiful place, heaven, where we're going as Christians, as we are going as the ones who have faith in Jesus Christ and who he says he is, we're going to this beautiful place, and we're going to make it. But how we get there is up to us and the, and the experience we have in life. Now, by ourselves, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of stuff and a lot of pitfalls. But as we're together, you have the more mature Christians that seen it, done it, been there, can steer you from it, those, those two taillights you're following. They've been there. They can, they can get you there a lot smoother. And you've got everybody else behind you encouraging you. you got this. You can do this. So is fellowship necessary? Yes. The worship team, please come up here. and We're going to open up for invitation. Now, that being said, fellowship being necessary... If you aren't saved, if you're not born again, you got much bigger problems than a rough road. Because where you're going, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. That's a place called hell, and it's there, and it's waiting, and it's real. As Christians, fellowship is very necessary. But if you're not a Christian, if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, if you want to be born again, Pastor Josh and I, we will be up here, and we can take you to the one who can save you. I can't save you. I promise you. If it was up to me, I'd already lost my salvation, but praise God, 
He's got me in his hand, and I ain't going anywhere. But for you guys that, if you're not saved, and if you're online watching, you know where to find us. You know how to get a hold of us. And if you don't, Jared Morphy, go to my Facebook page. I'll answer you. Josh is the same. Josh Herwick, just so you know. All right. I'm opening up this time for invitation. I'm going to pray. If you guys would bow your heads. If you have business to take care of up here, if you have a family member you want to pray for, if you anything in your life that's going on and you want to get it right, come up here. If you need somebody to pray with, Pastor Josh and I will be up here to pray with you. If there's someone in here that you need to pray for personally, walk over there and pray with them. We're not constricted to this altar. You guys can meet each other in the pews where you sit. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here that does not know you, that's not saved, that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would get it right this morning. Lord, I thank you for the blood that you spilled on my account. nothing I could ever repay and I'm forever grateful and if there's someone here this morning that wants to believe that Lord I pray they would come up here so we can lead them to you Lord I praise you thank you Father in your son Jesus name I pray